This podcast is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College takes great pride in its diversity. For more information, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Philip Elliott, a Washington correspondent for Time and a seasoned veteran Washington reporter. Before joining Time, Phil spent a decade covering politics, campaign finance, education, and the White House for Associated Press. We're talking about the apparent chaos in the Trump administration, Trump's budget, and other issues. Last time you and I talked in the White House, things weren't the way they used to be. And is it still the case? Is it worse? Is it better? It's hard to say if it's worse or better because the president, no matter what, thinks it's better. That he has a certain expectation for what he wants to see from his White House, his administration across all agencies, and the people around him day to day, his his inner circle that seems to change um, with some frequency in terms of who has the upper hand, who he's listening to, um, and who he wants to see out of the corner of his eye in the room. For instance, we, we Time Magazine, the editors and correspondents, had dinner with President Trump right. um, recently. Uh, it was May 8th, I guess. Um, and through it all, several hours, that there was this rotating um, cast of very senior members of government who would just stop by, who would be there. When President Trump gave um, our, our team the tour, Vice President Pence came along kind of as a chaperone. It's like the Vice President is spending an inordinate amount of time basically tagging along with the President because the President wants him there. The President finds a lot of comfort in Mike Pence being in the room and having a role in providing advice and really helps him navigate some of the trickier parts of government that the president still hasn't quite figured out. Will he figure it out? I don't think he needs to. I, I, I'm not sure he wants to. But it, we've seen presidents get by without a granular level of understanding. Ronald Reagan, for instance, was very successful in what he was able to communicate about America and to America um, without really ever fully grasping the details, the nitty-gritty of government. And that's where you get into danger, is if you have a, a hands-off presidency from the details. Uh, government can do a lot of bad very quickly if it doesn't have a proper babysitter. I, I'm thinking of the budget outline the White House is putting out now. There are some incredibly deep cuts to programs that are very popular. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of a student loan forgiveness program, for instance, for those new college graduates who want to go and be teachers, want to go work in law enforcement. That entire program is scrapped in the current president's budget. Uh, there's tremendous spending on the military that's included um, at the cost of um, like Head Start programs, Meals on Wheels. And it's not entirely clear that the president is that invested in this. It is being rolled out while the president is 
overseas. He's not here to promote it. Mike Pence, the vice president, is going down to Louisiana to start being the cheerleader for it, which is really kind of telling that the, the higher the wattage, the more serious it is. The vice president's a very capable and powerful man in Washington. He's not going to get wall-to-wall cable coverage the way the president of the United States would. A final point about the budget. The president has made no attempt whatsoever in the document that was released to actually ever make that into the actual budget of the United States. So much of it is a non-starter. House members are not going to go for a lot of it. And the Senate, uh, I was talking with a very senior member of Mitch McConnell's team. He's the top Republican in the Senate. And he said, "There's, there's no way that this budget is anything more than pixie dust that if Congress does a budget this year, and that's still a 50-50 proposition, it'll end up being bipartisan and bland, that it will be something everyone can get behind. There will be no deep cuts that the White House is seeking, because everyone in the House and a third of the Senate have to go home and run for re-election next year. Giving the president what he wants on this would be a death sentence for a lot of these lawmakers. And the first rule of Washington is do no harm to yourself. (laughs) There's so much bad politics in this budget that I just cannot imagine any pollster worth their salt saying, yeah, vote for that budget. That's going to be totally popular when you kick every kid out of Head Start in your program. Your summer feeding program um, for poor students is gone. You know, the senior programs at your community center are eviscerated. Social Security, who knows what is going to be happening to that. Um, These are just things that people expect a government to do and provide them. They might not love the quality, but they know they're stable. They're protected. They are sacrosanct for a lot of lawmakers. A vote for the president's budget would be a vote against political self-interest. I know you did an article, co-authored an article, I believe, yesterday uh, about uh, the budget, sort of a preview of the budget coming out. If if this budget is so dead on arrival, and and most people agree with your analysis, why does the president do it? It it seems much of it is contra to his base, so it doesn't seem like he's playing to his base. Give me a rationale. The rationale coming out of the White House is this. We said we were going to do this. We proposed doing it, and it's those other guys, the other guys at the end of Pennsylvania Avenue, the House, the Senate. They're the ones who told us no. It's not our fault. We tried. It is constantly the, it's a combination of the White House seeing itself as being victim here. I've never witnessed a president of the United States so openly complaining not just about how he's been treated, how he's been covered, how, how people are not giving him proper credit. It really is a remarkable display of um, what, what the president is thinking. The other side of that coin is this might be the most transparent president we've seen in a while in that he will lay it out there just where he thinks he's been done wrong. Um, it, it also lets the president set up, um, he always needs a boogeyman. During the campaign, it was Hillary Clinton. Um, even now, it's still sometimes Hillary Clinton. Sometimes it's Barack Obama. Sometimes it's the deep state. But he always needs someone to run against. And that is what his supporters really like about him, is that he's constantly picking a fight. And in their mind, he's fighting for them. In this case, fighting against the establishment politicians, 
who are members of the House and the Senate. And picking a fight against Congress, the only thing, I mean, <laughs> you, you, t- you look at the regular studies that come out about what institutions um, the American public have has faith in that have faith right. in those right. like it, it, it's very tough to find a profession or an institution with a held in lower regard than the U.S. Congress. And and he's astute enough to know that, and so he he knows that if he rises above that, then that's good politics. Is that his analysis, or is it just good for him? I think it's just good for him. I mean, the president, he famously ignored a lot of um, advice that pollsters gave him. Um, he knew that during the campaign, he knew the headlines that he always found the poll that showed him winning. Um, right. Or ahead, or problems for Hillary Clinton, or before that, his vanquished rivals. Um, Trump is a Trump is a, an individual who goes on his gut, and in the course of his seventy-year life, his gut has served him pretty well. I mean, you take a look at some of these other politicians that have um, been been students of history, have really drilled down into the cross tabs of polling results, trying to find the micro-targeting of, do I have a retired steel worker in northern Michigan who shops at Walmart and subscribes to uh, fishing magazines? And what kind of mail can we send them? Trump didn't bother with any of that. He just said, I'm going to be me. And in his gut, he thought that was a winning proposition. And it turned out to be right. Um, to his credit, he read the American public, and he still may be reading the American public far better than any of us um, routinely give him credit. So let's go back to the the White House staff for a moment. And I want to set up uh, the example here of when special counsel was appointed uh, – at least from news reports that we receive uh, as lay people, the White House was scrambling to come up with a statement that was appropriate. And so they came out with this sort of uh, oatmeal statement that uh, certainly that they'll cooperate with special counsel and they want this to be over with as quickly as possible. Less than 12 hours later, uh, uh, Trump is tweeting about the the biggest witch hunt in political history and how he's targeted and how this is horrible. It seems like two totally different approaches. (laughs) How, How can that be maintained and staff still be around him? Well, that's that's the question. How much of this? How much of the how patient will the people around him stay, um, and how how much will they tolerate before they start um, fighting back? I was talking with a staffer um, the other day about this for a story that we did in the magazine last week, and the staffer just said, "We are just as in the dark as you are. We we watch Twitter, we turn on Fox and Friends in the morning." Um, because we know that's what the president's watching in the residence, and try to anticipate how the president will react to cable news morning show. And that is how they're trying to set up a schedule, um, both for messaging, for legislation, for legal. Um, 
that really so much of what the president does is take his cues from the last person or the last medium um, he is that is in front of him. It, it, it really is remarkable how pliable he is in terms of what, what he is willing to believe. That if it's one thing in the evening when White House counsel Don McGahn, Chief of Staff Reince Priebus, uh, Michael Dubb, the, uh, the communications director, press secretary Sean Spicer, Ivanka and Jared, they're all in there saying, we've got to be calm, we've got to be even-handed here, we're going to cooperate, we're going to do everything we can, you need to hire a lawyer, um, which he still has not done, um, to handle the, the, the special counsel issues. Um, but we're going to do it in a, we're going to do this as milquetoast as we can. They all go home, they think they've had a minor victory, they live to fight another day, and on the way in to the office, if they're not already there, they get an alert on their phone, they get a text message from Twitter that the president is tweeting. And it's a race to see who can get to him first to stop him from sending the follow-up. It, it really is it, It's an unfiltered presidency in a way that we've never seen before. I mean, as much as we all romanticize the fireside chat right. and the town hall meetings that um, candidates have and then sometimes as president, there, there's a predictability about that, that there still is a filter, not not like the fireside chats were scripted the town halls were ticketed um some more some more than others were scripted in terms of who got to ask questions that is predictable donald trump having a knee-jerk reaction to what fox and friends is saying is really quite um a remarkable event and then the the primetime lineup at fox to their credit also can shape the presidency i'm thinking of the president saying, hey, I'm hearing what's happening in Sweden, terrible. Right. And all of that was based on a Fox interview of a documentary filmmaker not talking about something that was happening in real time, but the president thought that was what was going on in real time. It's really quite remarkable. I mean, we really have outsourced a lot of the foreign policy briefing um, to the anchors and producers at um, a cable network. Well, there was a controversy uh, involving your magazine, right? Uh, he was given by one of his staffers a fake cover? He was. Uh, K.T. McFarlane, um, who is the Deputy National Security Advisor, um, gave him a copy of a clearly fake um, cover, and he thought that was real and started talking about it, and it, it, to their credit, the White House staff stepped in and was like, this is not how foreign policy is going to be conducted. This is not how science policy is going to be done. Um, it's worth noting that KT has been um, promoted, in, in the truest <laughs> Washington sense of the word, to ambassador to Singapore. Worth noting, KT last worked in government as a speechwriter in the Reagan Pentagon and was a Fox News security analyst. So the president hired her directly off of television. Got it. Two people that I want uh, some insight from you on, and one is Chief of Staff Priebus and the other one, H.R. McMaster. Uh, both seem to be in the crosshairs. They do, but it's worth—they they need to be taken in separate buckets. Okay. That Reince, 
Reince is a creature of Washington. He is former RNC chairman, right. um, one of the best political fundraisers in party history. Um, before that, he was the general counsel at the RNC, a really powerful role when you think about how the party operates and functions and picks presidents and allocates mil- tens of millions of dollars to help candidates. It really is basically a conservative bank for political operations. Um, he was never a natural fit. Um, he still is not a natural fit for this president. The, the, Reince Priebus is he, he's a New Jersey native who moved to Wisconsin. Um, it really just he's a by the rules guy. That he doesn't like surprises. He's willing to push the envelope, but we need to figure out why we're pushing it. We we just don't throw things in the air and hope they work. Uh, he, he likes and he he likes accountability. He held himself to account during um, his his long tenure, relative by modern standards, long tenure at the RNC. Um, and and he really his salary at the RNC was completely contingent on victories that he did not want to be paid if they weren't winning. Um, he was paid very well as a result of that, but he also, he wanted to hold himself accountable so everyone knew that they weren't just throwing money into a black pit. And the White House, he's the same way. He wants order. He wants discipline. He wants, he wants something that's predictable and manageable and that everything flows to one, one goal, one strategy. Trump is a tactician. He likes the hour-by-hour combat by hand. It's a tough tough role for Reince to be in. Um, A lot of us um, have known Reince for several years, and and we're we're, um, surprised that he would do this role. I mean, the the chief of staff is basically um, the co-president. Right. um, And it's it's a tremendously powerful job, um, cabinet rank, and it's really, um, it's one that Reince should, for Mitt Romney, Reince Priebus would have been the ideal chief of staff. Um, President Trump sees himself as the chief of staff and um, Jared Kushner basically as the acting chief of staff. H.R. McMaster, by contrast, is someone we all, um, those of us who were writing about the Iraq war, we read his, we, we, we've all read his academic writing. This is a very serious scholar of what went wrong in Vietnam. Um, that when he, his whole thing, and it's very smart and timely, is what happens when civilians don't listen to um, the military advisors, military leadership. Um, we thought that he would be a, um, a very stabilizing force on the president, restrain him from some of his impulses, and so far, so far, so good. Like, we, 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 are, we are not at, we are not firing bullets into Pyongyang. We don't have missiles flying with the exception of one night over chocolate cake, we don't have missiles flying into uh, foreign countries. We, we, are, we, we have not invaded anywhere with ground troops. This is a very, this is, by most measures in Washington, a very good development. The problem we, we all kind of groaned when we watched um, General McMaster um, go, to the, go to the driveway of the White House. He didn't even right. do it in the briefing room. He did it in the driveway. Um, to deliver um, a denial for a story that ended up the president confirmed the next morning. It was, it was one of those, you, you just knew, you could tell from, I mean, we've, we've all watched him, um, either up close or from a distance for a while, how he, he, he was not comfortable there. 
this is a guy who who is very he knows what he believes he knows what's true um and even if that means questioning members of his own party as he did um during the Iraq war about hey maybe you should just kind of ease off here let let the generals win this thing um we 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 all respect him and then we watched that we're like oh that is that is brutal and we know this is going to come back to bite him and it bit him the next morning when the president was tweeting um basically undercutting him that said um we we still all uh, i mean we respect Ryan's re- respect general McMaster. it's just their 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 fortunes are tied very differently you can't fire the national security advisor in a in a symbolic show and expect your operation to get better you can fire your chief of staff as a symbolic move um bill clinton had to do it with his kindergarten best friend um during his first term to, to try to reset after a disastrous um 1993 so tell me this phil mcmaster stayed in the states uh, while the president's taking his first international trip, and a long one at that, nine days. Uh, Priebus is is back in Washington. Yeah, I thought we saw him today. <laughs> why, why are they here and not on the trip? Yet we have Ivanka on the trip and Jared Kushner on the trip and, and all the family on the trip. Well, and they... Reince was in in Saudi Arabia for the terrorism summit. That was an important show of um, at the ministerial level um, to have your chief of staff, your top your top aide there um, to take meetings that the president simply didn't have time to take. McMaster sent his very smart deputy, uh, Dina Powell, a veteran of the George W. Bush administration. She worked for Condi Rice as an undersecretary at the State Department. Uh, when Iran gold, Goldman Sachs philanthropies very close to Ivanka, Muslim American. Um, it was a good move to send Powell um, to on to the on this trip, especially as it related to Islamic extremism and um, com- combating um, combating terror and women's issues. Pa- I, I I didn't have it. I mean, it made sense if you if you need one person in the White House to run. Um, rapid response and one person on the trip who's actually an expert in that area. It, it made sense, sense to send the expert. Jared Kushner, he's kind of the minister without portfolio in the West Wing, the boy wonder, the boy genius. Um, he is in charge, among other things, of Middle East peace. Um, he is the envoy to try to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He's very close to Bibi Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel. Um, Bibi has spent the night at the Jared Kushner family estate when he's been in the United States. Um, like they're incredibly close; it made sense. And Ivanka, Ivanka is just kind of like doing doing what she does. She has her West Wing office. She stepped in and took some of the president's schedule when he got exhausted. Note, note that he got exhausted on day two of a nine-day trip. Yeah, which right. has us all a little nervous, um, and really, it's it's a lot of those those individuals, especially Jared and Ivanka, can keep the president amused, occupied, engaged in things. The the, the whole strategy that the White House senior staff was trying to come up with. He's going to be spending a lot of time in the air. 
he's going to have a lot of time to himself, maybe. He needs people to keep him from... He needs people around him who won't cause problems. And the more people you have around him, the more interested, the more engaged, the more um, curious. You might be able to get him interested in conversations you can't, you wouldn't normally be able to do um, if he had, if he had an escape hatch out of the out of the Oval Office. Here, he's a captive on a plane. Let's try to get him interested in a whole variety of subjects. But to the point about keeping him engaged, my favorite story so far of this entire trip is that the NATO ministers were telling their members, um, when you do your speeches at the NATO summit coming up in Brussels, please keep it four minutes, and as many times as you can, please use President Trump's name. That will be a way to keep him paying attention. It's what they have to do at the White House with briefings. It really is. It's they, they want it short. They want pictures. Um, the, the notion of, I mean, I remember during the campaign, we all wa- watched as her poor personal aide was carrying around, Hillary Clinton's personal aide was carrying around just binder after binder. You go to their right. headquarters in Brooklyn. Basically, there was an entire conference room of binders that were just like, here is a policy on this. Here are 35 experts who have written white papers on that here it's it's really can we put a picture in there can we animate that slide in the slide deck can we is is there audio is there a, is there a video clip from fox news we can show him um it, it's you're not you're not going to change someone who's 70 years old it right. just doesn't happen the presidency does not change your character it just reveals it, it in its most intensified and for a lot of these staffers who are struggling the, 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 they're, they're struggling between serving the president and the presidency. They're just trying to get, as trying to defend the, the presidency from a sense of patriotism and the, with what they have to work with. And if that means finding a clip on YouTube to illustrate a point, that's what they're going to do. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University and its leadership and faculty strongly support diversity in all of its forms. The college has defined the concept of diversity as acceptance and respect for all and understands that each individual comes with a unique set of life experiences shaped along the dimensions of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, and gender identity, socioeconomic status, age, abilities, religious beliefs, political beliefs, and all other ideologies. At the Scripps College of Communication, diversity is about understanding one another and moving beyond simple tolerance to embracing and celebrating the rich dimensions contained within each individual. Diversity enables the exploration of varied life experiences in a safe, positive, and nurturing environment. To learn more and find out how you can become part of this diverse community, go to ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Well, we have all of the various uh, Russian investigations going on now, a special counsel plus 
the House and, and the Senate cranking up a bit. Does that put the brakes on whatever's going to go on from the White House? I mean, does that toss it in turmoil? Uh, give us sort of a picture of what that does. So the White House senior staff um, has been begging the president, please just wall off everything dealing with Russia, the special counsel, House and Senate, um, whatever, the, whatever the intelligence community is asking for, please designate a point person or a point team to handle this. We cannot have everything overshadowed or just overtaken by this. It, it's, it really, running the White House when, they're, when you're not in crisis is incredibly difficult because you have thousands of people spread across a bunch of agencies all working on the same issue, and coordinating them is like herding cats. All right. you, you just can't really do it. The White House right now is saying we need someone just to put a firewall up, make them deal with it, keep it off the president's desk when possible, and really find someone who's a specialist in this. Don McGahn, the current White House counsel, is a very nice man, has been very helpful to a lot of us for a lot of stories on campaign finance. He is a campaign finance lawyer. That's what he does. We're not dealing with an FEC filing anymore. No. We're dealing with potentially, we're, we're dealing with everything ranging from, depending on your level of hysteria, whether you're dealing with impeachment, treason, collusion, coordination, um, contact. I mean, it, it, it just is a sliding, it's a slide ruler of just how much you want to get um, ginned up on this. But they're very serious um, questions, potentially devastating um, allegations or charges that will, that Bob Mueller will try to figure out. You, you just can't have a campaign finance lawyer who still has his day job of trying to be the top lawyer to the presidency of the United States. You, you need, Trump, to this point, has not um, finalized his decision to tap someone to do that. And then there's also the, the, the public fallout. If you're, if you're Sean Spicer and you're trying to promote the president's budget and the president's trip here and a cabinet agency rollout there, an executive order here. You, you can't have your briefing every day be all about Moscow. And that's, that's what these have been co- become. During the Clinton years, they, they very, um, for better or for worse, they would say, I'm going to refer you to. I'm going to refer you to. There's no one to refer any of us to. There's really just Sean at this point. So he has to answer all these questions when he's not really necessarily either being told the whole truth, he might, not have the, he might not have the clearance to be told the whole thing, or it might just be the president's not telling him the truth. We, we saw this with Mike Flynn, who lied to the vice president. Um, you, you really can only do what you can with the information you have, and at times it's the, the White House staff is increasingly not um, taking the president at his word when the president insists that you should... Um, um, put out a statement saying this, you're, you're seeing a lot of unnamed White House spokespeople put out statements that they will put them out from an administration official, from a White House official. And they're all the same, right? Uh, let's attack leaks, and uh, I'm not sure that's getting anywhere. No, it, it, it's tough to say that's a story based on an, an anonymous source. Don't pay any attention to it. 
when an anonymous spokesman is doing that. It, it's so meta, it just makes all of our heads explode. But the White House communications team has been burned so many times by denying things with their name attached that they're just not doing it anymore. There's no upside to doing it. Are things getting better or are things getting worse in the White House? Things are getting more predictable. That okay. it, it's, it's, it, it, we now know what to expect, um, not only just from the White House team, but from those around it, um, the sources who are spreading, um, sharing information that maybe is not in the most um, beneficial light to this administration. For instance, within an hour of President Trump taking off on this foreign trip, as he was somewhere um, off the coast of the um, United States in the Atlantic, you saw not one but two major bombshell stories break, one in the Post, one in the Times, right. um, that were clearly just like, you, you, I'm telling you this, but don't publish till he's over the Atlantic. And it, it really it left the White House team because it had that air, that Air Force One flight had a lot of the government on it um, that you just can't respond. I don't care how good of a technology um, you install on Air Force One. You can't fight a story when you're 30,000 feet over the Atlantic. Two other uh, questions, and then I'll, I'll let you go, Phil. But uh, Jared Kushner has been at least reported by some as being the other person of interest in the criminal investigation. If that's true, what does that do to his position in the White House? If that's true, and I don't know that it is, I have no, I, I'm not publishing right. any stories Just that allege that. If it's so, true. If it's true, it's tough to see that that... Uh, it's tough to see an instance where the president will, will cut the, the father of his grandchildren off. That it's one thing to fire staff. It's one thing to show the door to campaign manager Corey Lewandowski, campaign chairman Paul Manafort, national security advisor Michael Flynn. There are limits to the president's loyalty, but not when it comes to um, his family. He, he real, uh, as met as much as People find his personal behavior abhorrent, his judgment reckless. No one can credibly question that he adores his children. He is not going to fire or cut off or condemn to public, um, public um, conviction the father of his grandchildren. He's just, it, it's, it's unfathomable that that's going to happen. Could that be an Achilles heel? It is total, he has a total blind spot for Jared Kushner. Um, Jared Kushner can do no wrong. Well, Ivanka can do no wrong. Therefore, Ivanka picking Jared was perfect. Ergo, Jared is perfect. Got it. It's, it's, we all, we, every president has a blind spot like this. Um, Barack Obama had his Valerie Jared, for instance. Um, who could, who political advisors called her the night stalker because <laughs> she could constantly, she would go to the residence after a decision was made and undo the whole thing. But this is, this is an area where even if the president is forced to accept Jared's resignation, he's still going to be at dinner. He is still going to have the president's ear. Um, you, you might end his formal role. He might not have a government Blackberry. But 
okay, you cut Jared loose, loose from government. Now he's not subject to any government oversight whatsoever, and he's still having tremendous influence over the President of the United States. That, I'm not sure that that gets any better for people who are good government types. My last area of question, and uh, it may be brief, is Melania. Nobody seems to be reporting anything about her, anything about her role as first lady. Uh, her presence on this trip has been pretty much the most people have seen of her. Uh, is that going to go anywhere? Well, we were talking with the president about this um, earlier this month. And he said that things are on track for Melania and Barron, their, their son, um, who is still in school in New York, to move down here this summer, um, short in the, next, um, in the next couple days. Next, he needs, they need to wrap things up, get out of Trump Tower. Um, there have been some renovations on the second floor in the White House residence um, to, to get, make things a little more welcoming for Barron, um, which is every president does and is really... Sure. If 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 you're uh, you know if you're a ten year old boy, do you really want to be moving into Sasha Obama's room? You, there there are just things that need to change. Um, I would assume the the there is Mrs. Trump has started staffing up. She's hired um, a pretty well respected but small team to come in. Um, wonderful um, social secretary who worked for Barbara Bush, the first first lady Bush. Uh, she's coming in. Her chief of staff is incredibly solid as well. Um, she brought, she poached one of the president's um, deputy press secretaries to handle communications for her. She, she's. This has been a bit of a learning curve for Mrs. Trump. She, she doesn't exactly um, like the. She doesn't mind the spotlight. She hates the scrutiny, and that is. This is. It's tough to imagine um, the level of scrutiny that comes with being the first lady, let alone with being the first lady to a president like um, President Trump. I mean, I would remind you, the, there was Banggate when Mrs. Obama had bangs in her official portrait during the second term. Right. And th- there, were, like, there was international interest in the haircut. Mrs. Trump, um, she posed for a photo. Uh, her official portrait is with her arms, cl- arms crossed in the residence. Um, a little bit of a glossy um, there, a little um, uh, a very fashionista photograph, and there was, you, you 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 called over to the White House, and the press office was like, "I'm a Navy Reserve officer. I have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> when Sean Spicer was asked about f- photographic treatment or style or what you're trying to communicate, there really is a language in projecting the First Lady, and you need someone who knows how to do that. Well, Phil, I know that you're a, a busy man, and uh, you've got a lot on your plate. Uh, you've got tax reform going, and the health care bill, <laughs> and and the tax bu- reform. That's funny. And the budget. <laughs> I I assume that you would like to concentrate on some of those things. Yeah, it, it's tax reform is going to be a short conversation. It's it's not entirely clear that anyone um, is. Is serious about is is speaking from the same hymnal, if you will. Right. Like the House wants Paul Ryan's plan is a non-starter in the Senate. Health care is stalled in the Senate as well. The House passed it, but the Senate does does not like what the House did, and they're trying to rewrite it. Um, 
and that's going that's a disaster. And then the budget, it, it, we might just end up uh, authorizing some more spending at the current level and never really taking up uh, major changes. So the Washington might be on autopilot till January of 2019. Thanks, Phil. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Very good. Thanks, Tom. Today, we've been talking with Washington correspondent for Time, Phil Elliott, for a behind-the-scenes update on the troubles facing the Trump administration, the budget, and other key issues. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's Hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.